0: Welcome again to the Converge podcast. My name's Steve. My name's Nate. And we're here to help you have a Christian worldview in a non Christian culture. Our hope is that these podcasts serve to aid you in finding the point where mission and doctrine meet to encourage you in your discipleship. Welcome again to the Converge Podcast. We are excited today uh, to again aid you at having a Christian worldview.
1: In a non-Christian culture. Um, What we want to talk about in this episode is the topic of make church planting great again. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so where this kind of came from is uh, we have noticed and observed and have been talking about kind of between each other over the last few years. A change in the tone and not necessarily a good one. Of how evangelicalism seems to be talking about church planning and overemphasizing, I would say, and I think you would agree with me, overemphasizing the difficulty and hardship and all the negative aspects that go along in church planning. Not denying that those exist at all, they do. But we just feel like there's this overwhelming bit of articles and discussion and conferences just about all the hardship of church planning. And The problem with that is uh, we want to be people who are encouraging church planning all the time, everywhere, as much as we possibly can be. And it seems like when all we're doing is talking about how hard church planning is and all the discouragement that can come along with it and never emphasizing how great it can be, the joy that can be found in it, um, that you and I have found over the last decade it is the best life I think we could possibly have dreamed to live, so grateful for the life God has given me. And so when we're not emphasizing those things, we're not just encouraging men. Mm -hmm. You can do this. You can plant a church. It's going to be great to the glory of God to see sinners saved by the grace of Jesus. If if that's not our overwhelming message, what we're going to end up doing, and I I am fearful that we actually are seeing the fruit of this now, is we're discouraging church planting. And we're not going to see as many churches planted. So we just want to talk about that topic and talk about how can we talk about church planting in a positive way? That
0: encourages young men to take the path frankly yeah. that we took in plan a church, yeah, and I think it's important to point out that uh thirteen years ago, maybe fourteen years ago, when we were you know basically in our mid twenties uh, trying we knew we wanted to be pastors, we knew we wanted to do church ministry, I was um actively on staff at a church, and um what helped us, what encouraged us uh to plant churches was it just it was this interesting moment in the life of the I think the just the universal church yeah. where church planting was beginning to catch a lot of steam and there were certain men who had planted very successful churches who were using their their platform to really encourage other men uh men who were in ministry men who they thought should be in ministry Uh, By telling them, look, the way that we're going to reach the world is to plant. At that time, they were basically saying to plant new types of churches. Uh, We need to plant new churches. We're going to reach people. I know even in our, uh, specifically in our context and in our lives, there were men who had already planted churches, Mm -hmm. and they were coming to teach at a collegiate level, and they encouraged many guys that were uh, in their 20s at the time to consider church planting. And what really kind of helped us to gravitate towards it wasn't this constant focus on how hard church planting is, on how so many people are going to fail at church planting, but rather the point was that this is something that you need to have vision for. And so it was just this constant focus on guys casting vision for why churches needed to be planted, for how churches should be planted, and for God's movement in church planting and it was hard to not get right. inspired, uh, especially at that point. And right. what has happened? And I think some of it is fatigue. Uh, is is that inevitably, no matter what your venture is, there's going to be a lot of people that are not what we would say by the world standards are successful. Uh, they never sure. hit critical mass. They they never bring a lot of people in. They never multiply. And so, where established churches is concerned. Uh, there's a fatigue that sets in where they have partnered with churches that have not done well. But I think there is also just a cultural shift where pessimism is concerned. And people are, and this is my view, people are overly pessimistic about the pitfalls uh, of more than just church planting. It's bringing in all the pitfalls that people have of just the church in general, all the pitfalls that people think are there for pastoral ministry at large. And people worry about failure so much so that they're not willing to take the chance. Yeah, you know, one other thing I think
1: has come into play here that we ought to talk about is this is the church. And I don't think I don't think people realize this one church buying into toxic masculinity a little bit. Oh, yeah, because we're so afraid of pastors that have abused their authority and just kind of been overly macho in how they present their ministry and like, we're going to go get it. We're going to make this church and, and real things that have happened that have not been good. And we're in in a reaction to that. We've decided to downplay courage and
0: mm-hmm.
1: bravery and uh, Uh, an attitude towards church planning that I think is, is healthy, healthily masculine Mm -hmm. that says we can do this. It's going to be hard, but that's okay. We're going to make this happen. And and to downplay that is, is going to downplay the health of the church.
0: Well, I think what even a lot of church planning networks have done, even the networks that we may or may not have formerly been in have done uh, is they look at what in a cultural time was called toxic masculinity. Let me just qualify that for a minute. I don't believe toxic masculinity exists. I think it's not masculine if it's toxic. It's just toxic. It's sinful. You can call actions sinful. Uh, You can call attitudes sinful. You can look at specific leaders and say you have sinned. But when you begin to just do what this broad stroke work, and this, of course, is kind of the cultural thing that we do right now. We hit everything with broad strokes, Um, is that. When you begin to identify toxic masculinity, you really just start to kill masculinity as a whole. And that is the pendulum swing that inevitably takes place and did take place a few years ago when a few high-level leaders in certain church planting movements began to be accused of toxic masculinity, accused of just being bullish in the way that they led their churches. And so, What they have sought to do is neuter anyone with a driven type A alpha dog type personality, where instead of doing the biblical thing and looking at each individual personality type and saying, here's specific sin in your life. Here's where you need to repent. Here's where your actions need to be differently, which that would have been the biblical thing. They began just to simply say, if you're an alpha dog, there's no place for you in pastoral ministry you're immediately disqualified for pastoral ministry. And so in turn, it's the revenge of the beta male. Uh, It's it's the revenge of very soft men. It's it's the revenge of men who don't feel uh, like they're driven, men who don't feel like they can compete with the alpha dog. And so it's not that men who aren't driven are effeminate, but what it became was a cry for men to become effeminate Rather than being masculine. And I think for the people who necessarily have a a gifting of entrepreneurship, there are flaws that, that in temptations that are going to enter into that personality, just like there is any other type of personality type, those type of men were very put off. Uh, by the swing, and so many of them aren't even going into ministry now, and they're just taking their talents into startups. They're taking their talents into what would be called the secular workforce, and they're experiencing success in those places because rather than offering pathways of repentance for the besetting sins and the temptations that are necessarily going to come to us all, it really felt like it was just a rejection. Of the alpha dog. A rejection of machismo. And again, there's nothing wrong with those things specifically. Actually, uh, the world has been saved many, many times uh, by men with machismo. You know, uh, we, we, we wouldn't have won certain wars throughout the history of the world without those men. And so when you get rid of that personality type, when you get rid of that type of man, you are going to slow the movement. There are always going to be risks. There's always going to be temptation and there are always going to be a necessity for certain people to step down because of sin in their lives. But when we begin to brush with broad strokes, we lose movements. And I think I don't think I'm overstating it to say that we are at risk mm-hmm. of losing the movement of church planting that was so vibrant 10-15 uh, years ago when we were starting out in ministry. And you're just beginning to see this slow march away from activity of entrepreneurship, of really the activity of beautiful creativity where church planting is concerned, and starting new works. And our hope is, just like the title says, we can make church planting great again, uh, because we need to cast vision. We need to talk about the joys of church planting. We need to talk about how wonderful it is. And frankly, we need to talk about how awesome church ministry is. But when you look at, at places like the Gospel Coalition and when you look at, at different blogs, that's all it really is, just a blog with a bunch of dudes on it. Um, but when you look at different uh, media perspectives, just talking about pastoral ministry, but specifically the way that they talk about church planting, it's by and large negative. It's by and large about self-pity, yeah. about a lack of health rather than saying man quite frankly church playing is awesome it's the greatest thing i've ever been a part of pastoral ministry is great i yeah. love doing it and we need to work really hard at encouraging more and more people to get yeah. into it
1: yeah i mean i'm just when i look at the articles out there and and i'm not making this up we i can point you to them yeah <laughs> um which we will in just which a minute. we will <laughs> um i'm just overwhelmed by the pessimism and by the just predominance of articles written to kind of downplay expectations of church planning and there is some room and we do this when we train church planners right there is some room for setting realistic expectations Uh, every young church planner that comes in thinks that after week three they're going to have 500 people and a revival has broken out in the city right and you do need to
0: I mean, Unless your sending church sends you with five hundred people, that's not going to happen. That does happen, <laughs> but uh, every megachurch right. success story where they pretend yep. that the they don't know how the that's success right. happened, Malcolm Gladwell's done a great yep. job in in Outliers and Tipping Point to show that that's literally never true. Yep. There's always a story <laughs> always behind success. But if
1: you're just an average guy starting out, it's not going to go like that. So that's a good expectation to temper. But we're seeing articles of just like, you're going to be depressed. You're gonna, yeah. <laughs> your family life's going to be miserable. Monday
0: morning is the worst day, you know, it's the worst morning right. of the week. And you're going to regret every decision you've ever made. Right. And so I just, if when that's all you're getting...
1: Uh, that's not just setting realistic expectation that's actually discouragement and so i think we want to fight back against that and actually find a way to encouragement um especially and you hit on some of this encouragement that this is a great thing to aspire to which you know absolutely. there's actually bible verses about that yeah <laughs> um, absolutely but a great thing to aspire to and that it is a great life and that this is something worthwhile doing. One piece of advice that I used to hear quite a bit, even in church planning circles that I'll be frank, I never really agreed with was the advice that they would kind of scare you from doing church planning and say, if you can do
0: anything else, go and do that. I've heard that for not just uh, church planting, but pastoral ministry as a whole. And, and I'm with you. I, (laughs) I got the posture of the men spoke that into my life but um there are a lot of things I could do. I mean yeah. the, there there are certain giftings that that is are required for pastoral ministry. there are certain abilities that specifically are required for entrepreneurship where church planting is concerned. Yeah. that does lend itself to yeah. success in other areas. So this whole thing of if you could do anything else, yeah. you should go do that. Right. I just think that's bad
1: advice as a whole. Yeah. I want to encourage men, if you if God has enabled you and you have godly character and meet the qualifications we find in scripture and you can pastor,
0: do it. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. Why, why wouldn't you man. want to use the talents and abilities that God has first naturally put into your life, but then secondly... That with those natural abilities, you need to get equipped with, because there's a difference between being called and being equipped. You have to be equipped. But if you could be a part of a, you know, worldwide movement of God, if you could be a part of the history of the Church of Jesus Christ, if you could be a part of ushering in the kingdom of heaven, if you could be a part... Of not just discipling a few people, but discipling hundreds, maybe even thousands of people. If you could be a part of what God promises is going to be the most successful thing in the history of the world, my question isn't. Maybe you should go do something else. If you get no, my question is, why wouldn't you want to be a part of that? And you should be encouraged. And frankly, not just encouraged. I think more men need to be challenged to stop wasting their times on idols. That that their lives are producing and yeah. actually invest their their time, talent, and treasure in the Church of Jesus Christ. Two points, and then I know you want to talk about church planning. Uh, one is
1: I was going to do this later, but First Timothy three one, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And that's what we're talking about. Right? right? It's a good thing. It's a we good should thing. not be discouraging people from it. Um, but yeah, we we want to inspire people, men, to be pastors because. I think there is a
0: misunderstanding. We need more pastors. Absolutely. We don't have Uh, enough. Yeah, people leave the ministry all the time. Uh, People walk away from ministry constantly. And so just like anything else in life, there has to be a conduit through which we are bringing new people in. There has to be a conduit through which new pastors are being trained and equipped. And if we do have a problem that many have pointed out, of unqualified pastors if such a problem does exist the answer is not to run to a blog the answer is not to bemoan the status of pastoral ministry the answer is to have a plan to equip people to pastor to equip people to plant churches yeah and we we've been a part of that for a decade now and i'm really thankful that we are um i think that this started with a book that I love, uh, a book that I'm a big fan of, that in the middle of pastoral ministry, a very encouraging book, but it has had some unintended consequences. And it's a book called Dangerous Calling by Paul Tripp. I love that book. If you are currently in pastoral ministry, I recommend reading that book. But uh, as soon as that book came out, I remember um, I, I go to a lot of church planning conferences. It, it's part of my job outside of the church. Uh, it's also part of my job inside of the church as well, which really bodes well for me. But uh, I was I was at multiple conferences the year that this book came out. And without a doubt, every single conference that I was at, this book was mentioned. Uh, the content in it was used and young guys were encouraged to read this book. And I think what happened was this is a very hard a book on what it is like to be in pastoral ministry Mm -hmm. while you are struggling with sin, while you are struggling with expectations. Just all of the weights that, uh, quite frankly, any successful endeavor is going to have. Uh, And men were reading it, and it was scaring them out of ministry because it presented pastoral ministry with some reality of what takes place in ministry. But people read it and immediately decided, well, I'm not qualified for this. I can't handle this. I don't really want it in my life. And it has been used to form an attitude of self-pity when in actuality, the objective of the book, even stated by Paul Tripp, is the opposite. Uh, Being, and I want to be honest about this, just like anything else in life, here's the thing, I'm a member of the church, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, so everybody that's a disciple of Jesus Christ is on a lifetime journey of repentance. A lifetime journey of dealing with ego. A lifetime journey of dealing with unhealthy emotions. Everyone's on that path. Pastors are no different. But the fact of the matter is, church ministry hasn't done that to me. Church ministry does shine a light on you. Church ministry does expose flaws, just like any successful endeavor does. But being a pastor and a church planter has served to further my discipleship further than I ever thought I could go. It has aided me in repentance more than I ever thought it could. But the big key is it's the most fun I've ever had in life. Uh, I, th- there is nothing else. And this is what's interesting is there's nothing else I'd rather do. But before I got into it, there might have been something else I would yeah. rather do. I only have that perspective. Uh, you know, we, we launched the church uh, you know, over 11 years ago. We started having weekly services. After 11 years, I can quite honestly say, Unless a massive shift happens in my life, I don't, I don't want to do anything else. Yeah. This this is what I love to do. This is what I have the most fun doing. But I do want to take a look also, uh, just for a few minutes, and talk about why we should plant churches. Because there could be uh, some people in this audience. First, because since we launched out over 11 years ago, there are some people who maybe didn't even know we were a church plant at any point. But secondly, there may be some people that don't know what church planting is. Mm-hmm. just simply means starting new churches. Um, and. Those people may not have a context for understanding. Church planting was the normative practice in the New Testament. There were no churches, so they had to start all of them. Uh, But since church planting in the New Testament, so if you read the book of Acts, it's kind of the history of the early church. Everywhere that a gospel witness went, new churches were started. But it's still a foreign concept today to many Christians. Because on a Sunday morning, you just go and you find a building that a church happens to be in and you go to that church. And it's kind of a flaw in the New Testament church right now for that to be the reality. Church planting should always be in the forefront of any church's ministry because of the prescriptive way that it is treated in the New Testament. It is the result of discipleship is always going to be new churches. And it's not just an important practice, but it is an ancient practice from the beginning of the church, and it was the usual practice that took place in the New Testament. Uh, you know, uh, the Great Commission, "Go make disciples," inevitably leads to groups of people gathering together under the influence of a chief discipler to learn what it is to follow Jesus. In Acts chapter fourteen. Uh, this is about you know the, the journeys of the Apostle Paul, and it said, When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. But note this, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had belief. So, What's taking place there is the Apostle Paul and his partner are going to all of these cities, preaching the gospel, making disciples, planting a church. And when it says they appointed an elder, the context of what what that means is, is that they are appointing someone to have authority over that local church and then moving on, doing the same thing in the next city, the next city, the next city. And then at the end when it said they committed in the Lord in whom they believed, it means that Paul was moving on to another city to plant more churches. Uh, in Second Timothy, Paul writes to young Timothy and he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He's talking about appointing authority over more churches. Then in Titus uh, chapter 1, uh, really in 5 through 9, he gives these qualifications of what it means to be a pastor. And he says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders, here's the key, in every town. And so he's casting a vision to Titus, I want you to plant churches in every town. I want not just there to be one church, I want there to be multiple, multiple churches. Throughout the book of Acts, the gospel planted churches, and churches planted the gospel. It was a cyclical interchange. You never had one without the other. In the Bible, every movement of the gospel starts new churches. And every time a new church is started, a movement of the gospel happens. So it's not really this question of which comes first, because they both do. Yep. It happens interchangeable all the time. And I know that was brief, but the key factor that I'm focused on is that we must recover the joy and vision for planting churches. We must stop being discouraged. Because look, the fact of the matter is, many of the guys that in, that we caught vision from, many of the guys that served as as our heroes in the faith many years ago, they have not aged well. Many of those guys, some of them aren't even pastors now. Some of them have made a, a shipwreck of their faith. Some of them have gone into false doctrine. Uh, some of them have been forcibly removed from their churches. But none of that should serve as a discouragement from planting churches. That's not a flaw in the system. That's yeah. the system working. Yeah. So when sin is exposed, that's what happens. And that should frankly encourage us when it happens. I don't like to see the pain that people go through. It's, it's a terrible thing. I don't wish it on people. But when sin is exposed in someone's life, <clears throat> excuse me, that's not a flaw. That's what's supposed to happen. But our response to it oftentimes exposes the flaw of a lack of trust in the gospel to do the work that the gospel needs to do. Yeah. No, that's, that's just it. Is
1: If our response to personal failures mm-hmm. is to say, well, the system must be broken, that's just not always the case. I mean there is room to reflect and say is there some do part of our methods
0: need to be evaluated of course there's always. room for that but that's always true and the, the beautiful thing about the book of acts to me is that uh, you know uh, some of some of our brothers that love the precision in, <laughs> in in the way that that things are handled especially where the regulative principle is concerned but um the the book of acts is never prescriptive over methodology because the gospel fits every culture and we are to put the gospel message into the context to fit the culture. And so oftentimes our methods will change. The same methods that were used in 1980 are right. not as successful now. Um, you know, the same methods that worked five years ago may not work as well right now. And so we must constantly be, be kind of taking inventory of just how our methods are working, how things are going so that we can shift so that we can see how it goes so that we can get better but what many people do is is they critique methods and use that criticism to just basically stop movements yeah and say well because we are not doing it right we shouldn't do it at all and i think that's a legalism that has to be exposed people are going to have flawed ideas that are going to blow up and never work yeah but people are also going to have great ideas that are going to blow up in the positive sense And make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Yeah. And when it comes to those those areas where the Bible is not prescriptive and it does allow for that beautiful uh, liberty that we have in the Holy Spirit, that beautiful freedom that we have in the Holy Spirit to create and to do new things, we need to be more comfortable with risks. We need to be more comfortable with it when it does fail. It, of course, is going to naturally discourage us, but it should not discourage us out of trying new things. We've got to get out of this mentality that when something doesn't work or when something was working and then it just tanks like the Titanic, then we need to stop saying, well, then you know we need to slow down and not do as much. We don't need to be less aggressive. We need to be more aggressive. We don't need less men. We need more men. Uh, And we don't need people to... Have this precision mentality, where every condition has to be absolutely perfect before they get in the game. Yeah. Uh, you, if you have that mentality, you will never get in the game. I, I was nowhere near as prepared right. eleven yeah. years ago as I am right now, right. and that—that's a beautiful growth that that we've had that I've experienced, yeah. but. I'm glad I did it 11 years ago because if I had waited until I was as prepared as I am right now, I would have never done anything. And we never got there. Nor would I be as prepared as I am right now because there is some growth. There is some maturity. There is some, something to be said about doing something and that's how you grow. It's like those people that you can't get uh, to make a disciple because they don't think that they're ready to make a disciple. And the, the fact of the matter is number one, you're more ready than you realize Number two, you're never going to be ready until you get onto the field of play, until you get into the game, until you get off of the bleachers and you start doing something. Maturity comes through practice. Maturity comes through putting your faith into practice and actually doing something with it. You cannot completely mitigate against the risk
1: in church planning. And in trying to do that, we are going to... Hamper and slow down the church planting movement. So that's yeah. a good summary of what we're trying to say. Yeah,
0: my, my, my thing with, with success and failure in church planting is, is that you equip people, and, and this is what I've been doing with our state convention for a number of years. You equip people as much as you can, but you never remove all of the risk, nor should you. Yeah. Uh, God has designed us in this world to not have an omniscient perspective. God has designed us as people who aren't always going to know how things are going to turn out, and he wants us to, by faith, take steps of obedience to the Scripture to see what God is going to do. I have seen many churches started that do not exist anymore over the last decade, Um, and by the world's perspective, we would call them failures. Some of them I even look at as failures, but not every church that starts and then doesn't continue is a failure, Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes you look at it and you recount that disciples were made, people were baptized, uh lives were changed, redemption took root in people's lives, and that's not a failure. It's just that God raises some works for a season and then he ends some works after that season. There's no guarantees where the life of village church is concerned, and we've experienced uh numerical success over the years. I pray that we we experience more. But that shouldn't make us comfortable. That should put us into a place where we are looking for our next risk. And I remember when we went multi-site, we had no idea how that was going to turn out. But it was a risk well worth taking. And we actually caught some flack because people thought we were moving too fast. We There were some people that, that were not happy. that They they didn't want to be part of a church planting movement. And that's that's my desire. That's my heart. That's what you want. I know that as well. Um, But we can't slow down. Uh, There is a biblical norm where church planting is concerned, and there is a calling in the New Testament where it is not an option among many. It's the only option. If your church is not multiplying, then your church is failing. That's the big key that people need to understand. Every church must have a vision for how they are going to plant churches. Every church must have a plan for how they are going to partner with church plans. There has not been a moment since, I think, about month six of the Life of Village Church where we have not uh, partnered with church plans financially, with people, with training. It is, it, is what, it is what keeps me encouraged because I'm constantly around people who have vision. I'm constantly around people who are trying new things. Now, sometimes I look at those things that people want to try, and I'm like, that's the worst idea I've ever heard. <laughs> but I love it when people prove me wrong. Yeah. I love it when a guy, a young guy, you know, a guy my age, I don't care, but when a guy comes to me and wants to get assessed where church planning is concerned, whether he's part of Village or whether he's somewhere else, and he comes to me with this, this vision for how they're going to do it, for where they're going to do it, for what their process is going to look like. And I've had the conversations with you where I'm like, that's just a terrible idea. It's, it's not going to work. I don't, I don't have any hope in it. Uh, And sometimes they walk away and they prove me right. Uh, Sometimes they just crash and burn. But I love the guys who prove me wrong. I love it when somebody does something and I'm like, man, I did not think this would work, but it's great. Because the first thing is, is it gives me new ideas I can steal uh, Mm -hmm. and, and implement in our church. But it also it just it just keeps that fire of new Christianity must constantly have a vision for new work. From the Holy Spirit for new work in our lives. You become stagnant when you cease to multiply. I think our state convention, we, we have you know, somewhere between uh, you know, 10%, maybe a little bit more than that, but I think it's less than 20% of churches that are involved in church planting, uh, partnering with church plants. And the churches that are not involved are missing out. Because I think sometimes they're afraid of budget. Sometimes they're afraid of losing personnel. Whatever the reason for not being involved in it is, your church is always going to be healthier when you're involved in church planting. Your church is always going to be healthier when you are partnering with another church. And your church is going to experience wonderful health when you are sending people out to start new works. All right. Let's talk about, just just briefly, and this is going to be, I think, uh, one of the funnier parts uh, where we're, I want to talk about we we did a quick uh, browsing of of the Internet uh, blogs for Church Planting is Concerned over the past few years. And, man, it was hard to find a positive title. Uh, and we found pretty much only negative, negative leaning titles where church planting is concerned. Why don't you start us off and name a couple? All right. Three ways church planting will test your patience. And see – it's not that it's not true. Right. That's what good. Church planting good will test your patience. Yeah. But it begins with this notion that church planting is going to hurt you yeah. in some way. Yeah. Church planting is lonely. Which I reject <laughs> I do as a too, whole. Actually. Church planting isn't lonely unless you want it to be. Uh, church planting has forced yeah. so much community into my life and this is where when you make a statement like that, that is yeah. an objective statement. Yeah. Church planting is lonely. I've also been told, you know, it's lonely at the top, Steve. Pastoral ministry is lonely. You're never as lonely as, you, as when you're successful, things yeah. of that nature. Those, that's just stupid. And, and I, have, I have proven with my life that all of that is a lie. I've never had more friends than when I was in pastoral ministry. I've never had more friends than when I was planting churches. I have more friends now than I have ever had in my life. I have men who I am closer to than I've ever been closer in my life. Because here's one of the beautiful things. When you have shared experience mm-hmm. with people, it brings you closer to them. And, you know, I know our relationship was forged in the bonds of church planting. The other guys on staff here, I have relationships with all of them. Because we've experienced the ebb and flow of church planting together. Yeah, loneliness is a choice. Yep. It just is. And, and church planting isn't what made you lonely. No. You did it.
1: No, So own it and stop so, it. A lot of these titles, and you alluded to it, Look, sometimes you'll dig in and the content kind of tries to redeem the title. Sometimes it doesn't. The content's just terrible. But our point is just kind of why is this our forward face to the world? Because it's just all this negativity. I mean, there was one that was the worst time to plant a church, and then there's never a good time to plant a church. Well, how about... That is my
0: favorite. My favorite all, thing is, yeah, my, there's never a good time to plant right. a church. And it's just you're starting and I understand the content. Yeah, I know what they're going to say. I understand say. what he's saying. How about it's always a good time to plan a church? It is. There's never really a bad time said. to plan a church. That's what the
1: article ultimately is about.
0: I think <laughs> I think even now people would say, "Oh no, everything's closed right now." Right. And that's why it's a beautiful time to plan a church because if you have in-person gatherings, you you yep, going to bring people in from out. those churches so that won't have meet. Have some courage. Uh, church. Why church planting success, and it puts success in quotes, is yeah. dangerous. Oh my goodness, that was one where the content was bad. <laughs> the content of that article was really, <laughs> really bad. Yeah. Uh, church planting and the idol of immediacy. <laughs> and Again, some of the content was helpful, but when you start with that perspective, you're painting church planters as people who aren't as, as healthy as these established churches overwrought with bureaucracy and yeah. committees who never want to do anything new, who want to wait years and years before they will ever do a new ministry in their church. Church planting does not idolize immediacy. Church planting cuts through all of the nonsense that most established churches yeah. have. And I can tell you this from experience. I worked at a couple of established churches. And as one of the reasons that I got into church planting is because I was tired of the red tape, I was tired of having to deal with committee after committee after committee. Uh, for them to not make a decision and push that decision to the next board meeting and make me wait months and months and months. I remember one time at an established church, all I wanted to do was buy a TV for the youth ministry. (laughs) I had to wait months before I could get an answer on just buying one television. Uh, Church planting is a beautiful uh, way to cut through bureaucracy and get just old, stale committees to stop lording authority over the lives of pastors, uh, you know, here's here's one uh, that we can unpack: um, when church planting harms the city. Yeah, that ugh, that was a bad one. <laughs> That's more recent. Yeah, it, 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 that and is. I, I would say, by and yeah. large, there's not much in that article that I approve of. I think yeah. pretty much everything in that article I reject because it brings, uh, and this is a tribe that we've walked in. It brings this mentality um, that any time that a city or an urban area gets better, that it's bad. Yeah. And that is such a contradiction uh, that, that it's, it's not even worth your time to consider. You should plant a church anywhere, everywhere, every culture. And by God's grace, if your church improves the economics of a city – you have made that city more righteous. You yep. have not made that city unrighteous. You have not brought... And this is where critical theory has really yep. brutalized church planting right yep. now, where we are actually saying that if we improve the economic status by having young middle-class people move into a city to do a missionary work, yeah. then we have bec- we have come in as oppressors. Yeah. I reject that wholesale, and I think it's stupid. Yeah, that, that was what
1: that was about. This is just... This article is not so bad, but it's just the category of the article. Why church planning is so hard.
0: <laughs> yes, it, it is yeah, hard, but, we, but...
1: Anything anything <laughs> that's worth doing is going to yeah, be difficult. There you go. And we need to inspire men that it's worth doing, not talk about why it's so hard. You're, so, hard-pressed
0: to your find title, an, you're hard-pressed saying. to find an article that says church planning is awesome. <laughs>
1: right, that, yeah. And the fact of the matter the is,
0: we have, and here's the thing, we have less churches per capita than we have ever had in the yeah. history of the United States. Yeah. Whereas at one time we had one church for every hundred people in this country. Now, yeah. uh, I think the last time I saw it, we have one church for every 10,000 people yeah. in this country. Yeah. If every person in the county that we're in decided this Sunday morning that they wanted to go hear about Jesus at a local church, which by that way, that is evangelism, yep. um, that we could not we could not fit them all. Yep. Here's another one in that
1: Category when church planting feels impossible.
0: It's not when church planting is possible. <laughs> yeah, when church planting is attainable. <laughs> right. When success is at your reach. Yeah. What What about the encouraging thought of why can't I plant a church that reaches people? When are we going to start seeing those articles? We used to have entire yeah. books. You know, I remember when Ed Stetzer came out with. Planting missional churches. That was such an encouraging read. I remember um, even even books that have some methodologies that I think are right. flawed. Nelson Searcy wrote this entire litany of how tos on some yeah. nuts and bolts aspects of ministry, and those were so encouraging to me. Even though I I I, I had to chew the meat and spit out right, the bones right. from my for our philosophy of ministry. But I looked at that, and the message that I received from it was, I yeah. can do this. There was an
1: attitude, and this has absolutely been a shift. There was an attitude 15 years ago of, you can do this, and here's how. Now, was there some nativity in that? Of course. Of course there was. I mean, but but here's the thing. That.
0: Who, who, What young entrepreneur yeah. isn't naive? Yeah. And why, why right. do we act like being naive is the worst thing you could possibly be? Some of the most creative Things that have ever been brought yeah. to the table table for the church, but also just for the world in general, was brought to the table by a very young, very yeah. naive person who, who didn't get a lot of things, but they yeah. still succeeded. Here's one that's more serious, and this was from a very prominent
1: real organization, why Jesus never commanded us to plant churches. And that's what, That statement is literally false. Yeah, that, that statement is a lie. That is the whole movement of we just need to be disciple makers and see what happens and kind of anti-organization, anti-pastoral
0: leadership. But beyond and that, and you know my heart, where inerrancy uh, yeah. authority of Scripture is it's concerned, not even true. Uh, that's a red-letter statement. Yep, it is, that, that's a statement that somehow says, That the letters in your gospel accounts that are read are superior to all of the other books of the Bible, which is false doctrine. It's a false teaching. Jesus did command church planting because Jesus wrote through the apostle Paul, the pastoral epistles. Jesus wrote through Luke, the book of Acts. Jesus wrote the entire new Testament. Jesus wrote the entire old Testament. Jesus did command us to plant new churches. Yeah. Uh, And then of course, I'm going to call this, you know, this is the ultimate. Why I'm tired of church planting. No, If you're tired of church planting. You're doing it wrong. Stop it. I'm not tired of church planting. I've got this amazing privilege a few times a year where I will gather to teach and assess church planters for an entire weekend. And it's the greatest honor. It's the greatest privilege. And the awesome thing about it for me is is that it helps me never get tired of church planting because I'm hearing fresh vision. I'm hearing a fresh perspective. I'm hearing from people that want to plant more churches. The people that are tired of church planting are the people that are embracing stupid philosophies of ministry. And it's, it, it, it is egotistical too because it's this whole mentality that I've done something and I've succeeded at it and I've been pretty good at it, but no one should either A, no one should do it the way that I did it. Yeah. I hate that. If you yeah. succeeded, then people probably should do it the way that you did it. And I would I be the first person to tell you, I think more people should do it the way we did it. Uh, we, I think we did a pretty good job. And, but then beyond that, it also comes from this mentality, I think, of a lack of control. Mm-hmm. Some church planters and some pastors get themselves into this unhealthy zone where they truly believe other people are incapable of accomplishing what they accomplished. And since it's not them going to plant the church, then those other people are going to fail. That is arrogant. That is egotistical. And so what you'll see is you'll see these teams of pastors that it's just like you'll have seven pastors on staff and all seven of them could be lead pastors. But the one lead pastor is so ego driven and arrogant that he doesn't want to lose any of his players when you could have seven churches right there. Here's one thing that that kind of jogged
1: my mind on this, this is real. And this happens is the, the church planter does not transition well to just being a pastor of a church. And so then they kind of
0: take that frustration out on the whole system. Yeah. And that's a him problem. Your church is going to have different seasons. I mean, when we first started, uh, we were in an elementary school. I pulled the trailer. (laughs) Um, I had to bring two outfits, one to set up in, and then I had to go in the bathroom and change my clothes uh, to have clean clothes for preaching. Um, we're not in that season anymore. We're, we're in a season now where we are trying to train other guys yeah. where leadership is concerned. And we are trying, we are making disciples in a more of not an, I don't want to call us an established church, but in some sense we are. Yeah, And so we're in a different season. And I think some guys don't want to grow up.
1: Yeah, They yeah. don't
0: want to mature. You should not be the same person at forty that you are at twenty-five. Right. You should be a better version of yourself yeah. when you are forty versus twenty-five. Yeah,
1: you've got to learn how to enjoy that growing up and not I mean, yeah, it's not exciting and new
0: and fresh like it was those first few yeah. years, but it's better in a whole lot of other ways. Yeah, it's you need a, to learn to enjoy that. It's wonderful. It's <laughs> right. wonderful that I can uh, just get up on Sunday mornings, get dressed, yeah. preach in that one outfit and not change until I'm done. It yep. is, is a wonderful progression. We, you know, it's just, it's a beautiful thing also, uh, when you get to a place where you can watch other guys do ministry. Uh, Sometimes I don't think people understand, um, when it comes to Sunday mornings, I only preach that that's, that's what I do on Sunday mornings. And so other people, uh, you know, set chairs, move chairs, you know, move tables. And if given the opportunity, I won't do any of that. I will get someone else to do it, but it's because I'm in a new season and I shouldn't do things because when I try to do everything, I'm robbing someone else of serving the Lord. Mm-hmm. And that's the last thing that I want to do. I don't want to be so arrogant about ministry that I have to pretend that it's, it's built on me, it's based on me. No. And the fact that we have dozens and dozens of people that serve here, help here, build this uh, I think that is what success is yeah. that that's why I'm not tired of church planting. I'm excited about the next church that we plant. you know, we're planting, we're in year two of a campus. uh we're in really year by one ish of of uh, planter that we sent k j Washington to uh, Waynesboro, Virginia, with New Valley Church, and I'm excited about when's the next one. Yeah. That, that's always my mentality. Yeah. And we, we have got to get to a place where we enjoy that. Yeah, If you don't enjoy your life as a pastor,
1: yeah.
0: it doesn't. And here's the thing. Most people think if you, if you don't enjoy the, being a pastor, you should do something else. Yeah, Actually, if you don't enjoy your life as a pastor, you probably just need to fix two or three things in your right. life that are wrong. Right. And you, so that you can excel as a pastor. Right. It's not being a pastor that's the problem. It's either a rhythm that you have set in your life where you have an unhealthy rhythm. Yeah. Or it could be sin that you need to repent of. Yeah. I think that's a good place to kind
1: of focus in on and, and end this episode. I won't read the titles, but there are a lot of articles about church planning that focus on the pain of pastoral ministry and the emotional toll of pastoral ministry and just on and on and on with just all the criticism that you receive and all the negativity and all this stuff. And there's truth to all of that. Mm -hmm. And all of that is real. But um, a lot of that is, is the pastor's responsibility to um, control their inner life in a proper way and to have healthy relationships and healthy outlets for processing those things. And, and if you're not, yeah, you're going to struggle, but I don't, I don't think our answer should be, we just need to pre- and this is what i see happening we need to prepare these young guys with all the pain they're going to face and all the the toil they're going to go through our answer should be here's how to be healthy yeah like that's what we need to be doing and to to give a vision for it, and you can be because i mean this is what one big thing we're trying to say is we love being pastors i love it it's a great life are there criticisms yeah i mean are are there things there are hard that are there are hard, hard to take? days of course yeah but two things i would say one same is true when you're not a pastor. And I really think it is arrogant of pastors to to treat um, guys who are, are doing ministry in the church, but they're not pastors and to act like they don't face some of those things too. I mean, they do. And, and there's oh, yeah. other hard things that people that are just whatever job you have comes with it, a set of hard things that you need to deal with. So a little bit of it is kind of man up and deal with it. But then another aspect of it is And we have the resources and and strength in scripture and through the relationships in the church to deal with those hard things in a way that doesn't sideline us, doesn't cause us to burn out. I I can say in all honesty, I'm nowhere near burnout. No, I'm nowhere near throwing in the towel. No, Um, And it's because we've set up healthy relationships. It's because we have created an environment where we enjoy what we do. And it's not. And this is another thing that I think can get the wrong impression. It's not that we enjoy what we do because it's just all fun and games. Yeah. We enjoy what we do because we're giving our lives to serve the Lord, seeing people yeah. saved. There's nothing I would rather give my life to. It's
0: like a farmer that has a bountiful harvest. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun when you see the fruit of your labor. Uh, yeah. we, we work very hard. Um, hard days are always made easier when you don't go through them alone. Yeah. So if you're a pastor that is going through a hard season and you're alone, stop being alone. Yeah, you have to and make friends or if you if you're in a context where you're not on a team cuz our secret sauce has always been we're deep with team. Yeah. We we've got a great team here, we're in relationship with each other. Um you need if if you're a pastor that is not on a team, yeah. then you need to pick up the phone and you need to call another pastor. Uh, You know, you need to call someone and you need you need to make friends and you shouldn't blame other people for you being alone. You've set that environment on your own. But also, you know, we have relationships here. We have accountability built into everything. And that's an important thing, too. When guys get alone, they start making dumb decisions because there's no one there to tell them you're making a dumb decision. You're either, A, making a mistake in an idea, or B, you're making a mistake where sin is concerned. There's also no one there to encourage you and say, you know what? I know that that wasn't great what happened last week, but we're going to be fine. Yeah, and that is so wonderful, you know, just even where it's just like you make a mistake and say something stupid in a meeting. It's wonderful to have friends there that'll be like, you know, that was a really stupid thing you Mm -hmm. said, but let's just get better. Let's just get better. Yeah. And that, that makes those, you know, Monday mornings uh, where it's, you know, as people call it the Monday morning hangover of pastoral ministry, yeah. it makes it a lot easier when you walk into a meeting and, you know, you're surrounded by friends. Yeah. Church planting is great. Let's make it great again. Uh, if you're a part of Village Church, understand that you are at a church planting church. It is at the forefront of all of our concerns. Thank you so much for uh, listening to the podcast or watching the podcast on YouTube. Do us a favor. If you're on YouTube, give us a thumbs up. If you are on uh, podcast or uh, Apple podcast, rather, uh, go ahead and give us a five star review, whether you liked it or not. And maybe make some comments down there about what is so great about Nate and Steve. But we will be back in a couple of weeks with another, another podcast. Thank you guys so much.